the point is, is you start making a list of those things so that they're no longer, uh, you know, forgive the term, but boogeymen. It's not something, you know, elephant in the room that nobody talks about because it's taboo and it makes people scared. You get the boogeyman out and say, this is how we will die, okay? <laughs> and let's face it, the list is very, very, very long at the beginning, and it remains pretty long throughout the journey. But the reason I bring up the pre-mortem exercise, because if you consider first in organizational design, what do we have to be great at? What is the core of our solution? And should we get this business to the next two or three levels and milestones of development? What will we have accomplished and what will we have shown as our differentiating competency to get there? On this episode of Unmet Need, I talk about organizational design and specifically what I mean by building a people organization based around the functions your new business aspires to be great at, and most of all, starting with high-performing individual contributors versus high-cost managers and executives. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Unmet Need. I am your host, Jeff Smith, and on today's episode, we talk about organizational design. And what I mean by that is every company has something called an organizational chart or an org chart. And what this really does is it describes the way people and the activities and functions that they perform are organized and who they report to. And so this could seem like kind of a boring topic, but I can't emphasize enough how important, again, beginning with the end in mind is when designing your org. So in a recent episode, I talked about co-founders and the importance of having complementary skill sets, particularly at the, at the beginning stages as a physician entrepreneur. And so the purpose of discussing organizational design is one, to encourage physician entrepreneurs to think about what will my business's core competencies be? So let's unpack that for a second. Physician entrepreneur has a great idea to address an unmet need. It could be for software, it could be an application, it could be an implant, a diagnostic. It really doesn't matter what exactly the solution is that the physician entrepreneur is going to start building and the problem he or she is gonna solve. It's really about as a business, how will we differentiate and be competitive? And so a few examples of core competencies. Some businesses have a stated core competency of being the best at engineering. You know, their secret sauce to their solution and their, and their business is they're really good at a specific mechanical engineering function. Or they could be in, you know, electrical engineering. They could be machine learning experts. They could be neural network builders that have unique insights, backgrounds, and experience in machine learning and artificial intelligence. It could be something as simple as we're really, really great at marketing and messaging. And so our core competency is gonna be around telling the story, the plight of the patient population we seek to serve. It could be we're really, really good at sales and we know how to get in front of the target user and deliver a convincing message and so we're going to be great at training. It could be clinical evidence. You know, is this new business so revolutionary that 
the success or failure of it in the early years is really going to come down to the ability to generate clinical evidence, which is very difficult, time-consuming, and expensive. Um, and if that's how this business is going to initially succeed, it could become the business's core competency. They get so good at running clinical trials that they never shy away from doing one. They actually seek to do them. And in doing so, they become really good at regulatory because FDA submissions and notified body audits are a lot easier when your business has no problem generating human clinical evidence. But the point here is start with what are we going to be great at? And if you're not sure early in the journey, try doing a pre and post-mortem. And so the pre-mortem exercise is something from the ancient Stoics that I read about through this great author, Ryan Holiday, some of you may know. But the point is, is the pre-mortem exercise that the Stoic philosophers would complete before they would go on a journey. Now granted, travel at that time was more dangerous, so you'd actually contemplate how you might die. But for the purpose of doing this, starting a business, as you say, okay, we have our plan, we're gonna develop this solution, we're gonna be really good at clinical trials and, I don't know, engineering. And so our plan is, is we're gonna go out, we're gonna raise capital, run a clinical trial, and only after we you know, solve a really hard engineering problem. All right, so that's the plan. We think it's gonna cost this much money. Ultimately, when we seek regulatory approval or clearance, you know, we've got all of our growth metrics in mind, what the average customer value, the annual customer value is gonna be, and things that we've discussed in previous episodes. So the way a pre-mortem works is we say, if this fails, how, how would it fail? And so you start by saying, well, we could not be able to solve this engineering problem, or we could run this clinical trial and find that our hypothesis on, on the patient benefit is wrong, or the clinical trial could take twice as long and we are not able to adequately finance you know, this big of a, a clinical study. The point is, is you start making a list of those things so that they're no longer, uh, you know, forgive the term, but boogeymen. It's not something, the elephant in the room that nobody talks about because it's taboo and it makes people scared. You get the boogeyman out and say, this is how we will die, okay? <laughs> and let's face it, the list is very, very, very long at the beginning, and it remains pretty long throughout the journey. But the reason I bring up the pre-mortem exercise, because if you consider first in organizational design, what do we have to be great at? What is the core of our solution? And should we get this business to the next two or three levels and milestones of development? What will we have accomplished and what will we have shown as our differentiating competency to get there? So the way that informs organizational design works like this. And, and we'll go back to the co-founder discussion from a previous episode. So a physician entrepreneur has an idea and the idea could require, we gotta be really good at synthetic cell manufacturing. I'll just use that as an example. We wanna do something with you know, the manufacturing of cells that hasn't been done before. So that is a great place to start with the co-founder because your co-founder could be an electrical engineer from MIT with a PhD and has founded and sold a company in, I don't know, wireless semiconductors. That's a very, very impressive background. It's possible, though, that that co-founder may not be the ideal person to lead 
your R&D for this business where you have to be great at manufacturing cells. Instead, that first employee that you recruit, that partner along this journey and your co-founder, one of the first people to sell and convince on your vision as an entrepreneur and to really try to infect them with this passion you have for solving a problem is the technical co-founder that is great already at your core competency that you aspire to develop. This individual is already great at it. They've already demonstrated the ability to do amazing things. Now, they could have done that as a contributor. They could be a postdoc. They could be a grad student. It's not that they have to be this decorated executive that has founded and sold multiple companies. That person might be too advanced in her career for you to afford, even when you're offering equity. But their skill set is in that wheelhouse of your core competency and their network, the people that they can call on for advice, information, and introductions. They're going to be a head start. They're going to have a head start on that journey. So when you apply the core competency, like what is the differentiator that how your business will compete in selecting a co-founder, then that kind of focuses you on who to recruit to bring in to be that first person to join you on the journey. So now you start looking at your pre-mortem list. What are the areas where we could fail? What are the things that if we don't get right? And you take that list and you start thinking about how you can attract the best resource in each of those areas. So it's like, well, if we can't do a clinical trial, if we design the wrong study, so you start looking for clinical trial design consultants. Now notice I say consultants because the caliber of professional you can use in the early days as a consultant, when you're simply paying that professional's rate, that hourly rate, you're able to go out and get people that you couldn't otherwise afford as a full-time employee and you start to build a working relationship with that person and they see what it is that you're doing and why the work is so important, they begin to know what it's like to work with you as the physician entrepreneur and you have the opportunity to develop trust because your passion is so clear that you are for real. This is a problem you are going to solve. And so by knowing what your core competency is going to be and then determining, when I say core competency, what your competitive advantage, which of your core competencies is, are, is going to be your competitive advantage to win your market. So you start building your team around your competitive differentiated core competency. And then you look at the skill sets that are absolutely necessary to prevent you from failing that you've identified in your pre-mortem exercise. And so the org in the first year or two could look like a technical co-founder. And then you have all the core functions with advisors, consultants, and, and, and possibly you build this bench of talent through the people that you raise your seed financing from. There's nothing better than having an expert in his or her field who believes in your vision, backs it with his or her own personal assets, and then on top of all that, agrees to actually join the, the calls and, and as a consultant or advisor, give you advice along the way. So. Now you're starting to see how the org can develop, but notice what I'm definitely not recommending, and, and I highly suggest you don't think of it this way, is what I see often as an org, building an organizational chart, or in other words, building out your people team is saying, well, 
the companies that I know in the space, they have a chief medical officer, they have a chief scientific officer. We need a CFO because the CFO is going to make us seem more legitimate. Um, I'll be the CEO. We'll, we'll hire a president as well and a chief operating officer. And what happens is you start building a very top-heavy, expensive organization of folks that have a lot of experience in managing the activities of others. Now, please understand that that caliber of executive leader and what those folks' skill sets is, it's incredibly valuable. It's why they earn so much. It's why as we get more and more experience in med tech, our value in the marketplace increases because it's one thing to know how to be really good and be a stellar individual contributor. It's another thing to be able to have a vision and a business plan and orchestrate all these different skill sets and individual contributors and execute towards a plan that's always constrained by time and finances. So that skill set is incredibly valuable, but I do not recommend incurring that level of overhead and building an org top down. What happens in that case is if you can attract the senior executive with a great brand and has done all these amazing things and you can get your investors or you're personally bankrolling their high overhead costs because that's their price in the market. That's what they can command elsewhere. So instead of doing that and then having that person come to the board and the founder and say, now I need to hire some doers underneath me, that model can take a long time. It is incredibly expensive it's going to take the focus off of very fast execution towards milestones that will unlock and enable the next round of financing. And it's fraught with risk, but most of all, it takes the focus off of hands down, heads down, in the work doing, and it will lead to a lot of internal meetings, discussions on hiring, and as this new venture is just trying to establish its identity and really define for this small team its values, you start hiring people without defining your core values. And the people that you bring in that are leaders, they are going to bring with them the values that they developed in their experience. Now, this, that's not to say that those are the wrong core values, but your business is going to develop outside of your original vision because the people are the ones that are going to build the culture. They're going to instill the values. And so what I'm saying here is that stage of org and people design, building out the org, it's critical, but it's not something to do at the very, very early stages. I've been on both sides of the table for the relatively new startup. They show up for the update to the, the seed financing investors. I've done this. And you've got your cadre of very expensive, highly decorated professionals on your team. And the investor says, so what do you got? What have you done? Do you have any patients enrolled? Is the prototype finished? Do you have any customers? They say, well, no, I've been super busy building out this really big, expensive team. And it's possible that if a person goes this route, the investor could say, yeah, that's not what I was financing. I wanted to finance a physician entrepreneur and a technical co-founder 
that together could put their heads down and, and use this very early seed financing to make this thing a little bit more real. Give me just enough confidence to write that next check. So to bring this back to the beginning, it's very important for every business to have an identity. And it's okay if it's an aspirational identity because this is a, it's a very, very new venture. But by defining your aspirational identity of business in the, in the way of saying, this is what our business aspires to be great at. One, it focuses you on the type of talent and skill sets that your business has to attract. And you can attract them, and I highly recommend, in the form of contractors, 1099s, you pay hourly. You can even incentivize these people with equity so that they have some skin in the game. But it's not bringing them on for 40, 50 hours a week when it's possible the work isn't even there yet because there's all these different contingent activities to perform. So by doing it that way, you start with consultants and then you start to watch your billable hours with these amazing consultants that you're able to attract. And when you find out that whether it's on finance, regulatory, quality systems, you know, engineering, reimbursement, market access advice, when you're starting to bill significantly more than 20, 30 hours a week with the same consultant, and you'll know this when you review your operating expenses each month, that's when you know that there's actually enough work. In fact, there's more than enough work. And by paying that highly successful, highly valuable consultant's full-time salary, you could actually be saving money. I wanna make this really clear because I've seen this so many times group of people are working together, they say, oh, we need some help with you know, this skill set. We gotta figure out how to build a financial model. So great, let's hire a director of financial planning and analysis. So now they spend a bunch of time talking about that, that requisition, they figure out how to pay for it, they start recruiting, maybe they hire a recruiter where they're gonna pay a fee, and four months later, they have their director of FP&A. <laughs> the person starts and they find out that, you know, they build one budget model and implement it, you know, an ERP, an enterprise resource planning software solution, maybe it's something as simple as QuickBooks or Xero. And it turns out there's not a lot of financial planning analysis to be done. That person becomes a little bored. And the whole idea here is all we really needed was a budget model. And so we spent four months and all this money attracting this person who is not going to be inspired to work at the company because there's not enough for him or her to do yet. So you could apply this same concept, but what I'm trying to impart, and, and again, as anything that I share, this is not the only way. I'm not saying it can't be done another way. By first having a clear identity at what the business will be really good at, it's, it's competitive advantage, differentiating core competency, you can use that to inform your co-founder. And that co-founder should be a very skilled doer with experience or early potential at least in that core competency. Next, you do the pre-mortem and think about what are the areas that if we're not good enough or good at, we could possibly fail. You then go out and attract a contract team. It's a people org that is primarily comprised of contractors. Now, the reason people have org charts is it's a visual representation of how your people org works. It shows reporting structures. Now, my one strong word of advice on the people org is until there's 10 employees, everybody reports to one person. 
don't have a 12 person org with three managers, each managing a couple people, because all that does is lead to what I believe is an efficiency killer and, a, and, and one of the things that works against execution is you'll end up with a bunch of meetings. And before you know it, you have managers meeting with managers, meeting with senior management, individual contributors doing one-on-ones with managers and then having respective team managers. And before you know it, your very small org is a bunch of people on Zoom calls talking amongst each other instead of the customer, the patient, the finance investors. And that's not the way to implement quickly. And so small orgs focused around specific predefined skill sets have those skill sets performed by highly accomplished, experienced contractors. Because what this is going to enable is to take seed financing that you've raised from the convertible note, and you'll be able to go fast towards building value in the form of achieving predetermined milestones. So a milestone could be design freeze on a prototype. It could be completing a biomechanical study. It could be an animal study. It could be any number of things, a regulatory submission. But what the physician entrepreneur and her founding team, what they're really asking of seed finance investors is, trust me, I know this is improbable, (laughs) but we can execute on this one thing or these two things. And most of all, and this is where we want to prove it to you, so we're asking you to trust us We can accomplish this milestone in the amount of time that we're telling you it will take with the amount of financing we are asking you to contribute. And once you do that, you've built trust and confidence in your seed investors. And this is gonna pay dividends when you go to them for future financing. It also is going to begin to develop the culture around exceeding expectations, underperforming and over-delivering. All right, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, you can reach me at jeff at jeffsmith.co. Look forward to sharing information in a future episode. All right, folks, that's all for today, but thanks for listening to another episode of Unmet Need. Hope you found something on the show today to be useful. And as always, please reach out to me. My website's jeffsmith.co. That's J-E-F-F-S-M-I-T-H dot C-O. You can also look for me on LinkedIn, or all social media platforms. The point of this podcast is all about the physician entrepreneur. I'm looking forward to meeting you. I want to help you on what you're doing. So don't be shy. Drop me a comment on social media or just send me an email at jeff at jeffsmith.co. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of Unmet Need.